the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome to uh, this episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. My name is David Danto. I'm your host. Um, and uh, this is our uh, semi-regular, every couple of months or so-ish kind of conversation with uh, uh, thought leaders and good friends of mine in the collaboration industry, wanting to get a little bit more of a perspective conversation going today around what's going on in the collaboration space. We were all uh, presenters and met at Infocom in June, which as we record this um, about two months, two and a half months ago. Um, and I want to try and get a sense of what's going on um, from the larger um, uh, concepts and, and what's happening in terms of larger trends. So I'll let my presenters introduce themselves to you. First of all, Mr. Maldo. Hi, my name is David Maldo. I'm the founder and CEO of Let's Do Video, where we cover business collaboration and team productivity. Thank you. Mr. Lazar. Hi, I'm Erwin Lazar, Vice President and Service Director at Numerity's Research, Research, where we spend our time going out and talking to end users and gathering data about how they use a variety of emerging technologies. Terrific. Mr. Dudley? Hi, Simon Dudley, uh, Sales Enablement Head at Logitech. Thank you, Simon. And Mr. Banting? Hi, yeah, my name's Tim Banting. I'm Principal Analyst for Communications and Collaboration at Global Data, and we look at various things such as vertical markets, uh, market trends throughout all technologies, and uh, also vendors. Okay, so gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. So one of the sessions, and I, I'm, I'm privileged to uh, working with the IMCCA to actually uh, write a lot of the programming for Infocom and the, the, the sessions that we do there and other shows around the world. We've always had a transition to a digital workplace session, at least for the last three or four years. But let's break that down a little bit, you know, hold me honest. Are we really seeing workplaces changing you know, obviously the paper is going away, the, the document handling is going away, we're moving a lot more of this around shared applications. There's a lot more conferencing and collaboration, a lot more smarter working and remote working. You know, don't wait for me to call on you guys. What do you think, what are your, your thoughts around? Is this a, a, something that's in transition? Is it done, is it happening? Is it moving quickly or slowly? What do you think? It, it started. So my, my comment would be, uh, I've spent, as I think almost everyone in this call has, 25 years of failure in this industry, right? Uh, we did some research recently. 39 out of 40 meeting rooms have no video collaboration in. So frankly, I should have been fired probably every year for the last 23. Uh, it, it, it's really changing. I mean, we look at the numbers recently, some analysts came up with some figures. The market has moved from big tin infrastructure, big tin endpoints to much less expensive mass deployable stuff. Uh, you're talking about technology now that's no more expensive than a chair or two in the meeting room. And it is having a dramatic effect. Uh, even, at constant, even at the present rate, though, we worked out to fill up this 40 million uh, huddle spaces that we presently have, it will take 164 years. So although I think we're beginning to see the ramp up, you ain't seen nothing yet is, uh, is what I would say as a result. Okay, and who's that to... the chair behind you before you move on, uh, Simon? Simon, we have somebody sitting in the chair behind you. Who is that? That <laughs> is, uh, sorry, that is Sherlock, also oh, known okay. as Fat Puppy. Okay, <laughs> just wanted to make sure that we, you know, we, we called that one out, the, you know, the gorilla in the room. So I'm sorry, who is next? 
Um, if I could jump in, I, I uh, agree with everything Simon's saying as far as the enablement enablement of this new workflow is just at the very, very beginning stages. We're just starting to um, give the workforce the tools they need to work in this new way. But the new way of working is happening. Uh, that was the focus of one of my presentations at Infocom. And it was you know millennials and workflow. And I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here, but I was going on and on about how millennials see the world differently. They have different career goals, different ways they like to work, different needs. And halfway through, I had this moment of panic because I flash back to the to the, um, the 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 news reports in the early '60s when old guys my age were explaining how the kids liked the Beatles, and they're like, "Is it the hair? Is it the clothes?" And, and they didn't get it at all. And I'm like, "I wonder if I'm not getting this. I really need to talk to some millennials." And after I was done, the millennials all rushed up to me and they said, "Yeah, you get us. We do care more about this than that. We do care more about being successful at a project." than working at one company for our whole lives. We do care more about working as a team than sitting at a desk and having it in an inbox, outbox, inbox, outbox. We do care about remote work. We do care about all those things. And I'm like, wow, what did I miss? There was, there was one thing I missed. They said they like to live in cities. They don't want to have to drive somewhere. They like to be able to just get on a subway or walk. I'm like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'm not sure that's relevant, but they were, they, it was important to them that I missed that one thing. But to the more important thing, the workflow thing, this isn't about to happen. This isn't maybe it's happening. The millennials are here. There's more millennials than boomers. There's more millennials than Xers. They have the plurality and they're about to have the majority. And this is the way they want to work. Yeah, I think the other thing to bear in mind and, and building on, um, build, building on uh, both of our colleagues sort of uh, comments there, I think we're seeing a declining relevance of the PBX. So you're seeing enterprise telephony clients are uh, sort of evolving largely because the devices and the way that we work has changed. And although traditional telephones are unlikely to disappear anytime soon, their utilization continues to decline. Uh, and we're seeing the use of um, alternative platforms, you know, team collaboration platforms, services and suites that in encompass all sorts of different ways to communicate emerging. We're seeing asynchronous, uh, asynchronous uh, tools emerging. So um, we're seeing this combination of synchronous tools, you know, the, uh, the sort of uh, PBX, uh, the PBX sort of telephony functions and instant messaging um, being sort of merged with the asynchronous tools. Um, and this allows uh, users to carve out large swathes of, uh, of uh, focused time. Uh, we're also seeing simple integration through the use of plugins with other business apps. So I think what we're seeing is all of this, all of these technologies and all these modes of working and, and ways of working are all sort of coming together and the time is certainly ripe now for, for all this technology to take off. Um, and I, I think this transition is happening quickly because we're seeing value-based purchasing happening in the IT department. IT departments don't want to invest in technology that's not giving them a return in tangible uh, business value. Um, and we're seeing the decentralization of the IT budget and the democratization of the IT buying decisions. So lots of people are getting involved. It's not just an IT decision anymore. And we're seeing those budgets being spread across all different sorts of um, lines of businesses. So a lot of sources, but all kind of pushing it in the same direction. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Erwin, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, you I, no, that's fine. I, I, I definitely back up Tim's point. We think about digital workplace. It's got a lot of different definitions. There are uh, platforms out there like IBM has a digital workplace platform, which is designed to figure out how to make collaborative applications uh, bring them to the forefront. So if you think about Facebook at work is another good example, highlighting the things that you need as you do your job. So one of the, I guess the, the core 
theme that we're seeing is, is collaboration in context is becoming the norm. So as you think about team collaboration integrating with, with different business applications, as you think about video being integrated with different business applications, with different tools, that users now have a broader set of, of uh, capabilities to work in the context of what it is that, that they're doing. So if I'm working on a project, I'm working within a team, I'm doing training or so on, I'm not sitting here switching back and forth and going, okay, now I use my IAM application and now I do a video call and now I I go and I edit a document. I spent some time with a client yesterday who's in the middle of this digital workplace transformation. And, and one of their big focus areas is ubiquitous video to everybody, as well as con collaboration in the context of, of, of document development. They spend their, uh, in the business there and they spend a lot of time working on Word files, PowerPoint files, Excel spreadsheets, and so on. And they're trying to figure out how do we best deliver collaborative tools that allow people to do things like chat as they're co-browsing or to pull people in and share a document or to put something up on a wall on a digital whiteboard and manipulate it and, and share it. So we're, I think we're undergoing a pretty radical transformation uh, toward, you know, I guess, what you would call this digital workplace. And uh, ultimately, though, it is also pulling the, the business value out of it that Tim mentioned earlier. Can I just add some... Can I just add some numbers around this? You know, not, not just opinions, but, but and, and I agree with everything everyone said, but here's an example. Frost and Sullivan just calculated the other day two statistics which I thought would be interesting from a context perspective. Within five years, to David's point, 75% of the US working population will be millennials. And within five years, a third of people will be working from home at least part-time. And as a result, those two trends in all of our career, I don't think there's any millennials in this call, doesn't look like it. Um, sorry, everyone included. There's that sense that it's not just the technology's changed, but also the whole way people want to work to, to Mr. Maldo's point. And, exactly. uh, and when they were 20% of the population, we could say, well, they don't really matter, right? But particularly when they were junior, but in the next five years, they're going to become middle managers and they're going to become the vast majority. That's, that's really transformational. Yeah, I'm still on David's point there. Sorry, I was just going to say on David's point there, um, the millennials aren't, aren't that new in the workplace. We're looking at Generation Z now, and millennials are sort of nearly at the point of their, their maximum earning potential. So, you know, there's multiple generations in the workplace. I think what's definitely happening as well, sort of generational aside, is, is consumerization of IT. You know, technology as it's... Um, made a strong presence in the consumer world, it's influencing the corporate world too. So our expectations are changing and our hardware preferences are changing. Um, so, you know, consequently users have got high expectations and strong demand for easy to use, ubiquitous and personalized applications uh, within their business li lives. So uh, all of that is coming together um, to, to sort of have a huge impact on, on you know, our choices in, in the tools that we use within our business. And one point I'd like to add on this, we shouldn't, approach this with reluctance. Like, oh, the millennials are here, they're gonna be 75%, they wanna do everything different, great, now we gotta change everything. We should be embracing this and enthusiastic because I hate to admit it, they're ways better. Um, it, it, you get more done, you're more productive, you're, you have better work-life balance, you're happier, you're, you're better friends with your coworkers because you're working on things with them. Uh, when I gave this presentation about the millennial way, the one big pushback I got is a bunch of boomers and extras came up to me afterwards and said, hey, why are you giving these kids all the credit? I do, I do things this way. Uh, we all do the things this way now. It's just the new way. Like, you know what? They brought it on us. They pushed it on us. I'm giving them the credit. The millennial way is great, and we should be embracing it. 
And I'm not to, to dominate, but one more point I want to make on Erwin made a great point when he was talking about the way we think of these rooms. We used to, and this is how this really affects us as an industry, we used to think about selling products and using products. Okay, team, we're going to use video conferencing. Everyone get in video conferencing mode. We're going to use video conferencing. Millennials don't want tools like that. It's all just a feature for them. Video is easy now. It's not a big, complicated tool. It's a feature of, does this room have video? No, let's go to that room. It has video. I need whiteboarding. Does this room have whiteboarding? Well, no, let's go to that room. It's all just features, all just things they can easily use. Utility, David, right, so isn't let, me, it? let me give a perspective, though. Um, something that I don't normally do in these kind of these types of webcasts, but I'll bring it up now because you guys see all the gitch that I'm surrounded by over years of collecting. I mean, I got Live Long and Prosper over that shoulder now. Anyway, um, an underdog has been with me my whole career. Um, I'm surrounded by a, a career of stuff, and you can't see it because I'm looking at what you can't see, but I have five screens in front of me right now. I'm doing this video call. I have uh, my personal PC. I have my day job work PC in front of me. I am during the course of a normal business day responding to email, responding to personal email and business email. I'm, you know, Tim, you were having some difficulties connecting to this call before you hit me on Facebook Messenger. So I'm on Facebook Messenger. I'm answering things on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm live on Twitter at the same time. I've got Skype for business open. Um, I've got a Spark board or a Cisco WebEx Teams board in front of me over there. I've got my phone here with me. You know, as a digital immigrant, I'm struggling. And I know it's unique because I'm in this space, but I'm, there are a lot more channels than there were before. It's kind of hard to stay on top of all of them. And I can understand the frustration in organizations that, that move this forward too fast with too many choices. Are you guys hearing about that from other users or is yeah. it just me trying to stay on mm -hmm. top of things? Definitely. And this is the annoying thing is that we as... Um, come, well, pe people in the, in the industry and vendors could do a really good job in educating customers on what tools to use under what circumstances. Um, you know, I, I started off my career absolutely years and years ago. I taught telephone etiquette training to, um, you know, to, to large enterprises like Marks Haven't we all? Yeah, so it's you know, it was the usual stuff like never leave a phone ringing, answer a call within three rings, all of that sort of stuff. But I really think that we need to think of um, ways in which we can help customers, you know, go through their, their different channels and what's appropriate to them. I mean, the, the, the path of least resistance is going to be email. Um, if you're doing project work, you know, maybe team collaboration applications is probably best. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's working out what methods are best for what circumstances. And, and quite frankly, you know, who you're going to get a quick response from you know, the, the best. I mean, I know, for example, you know, I reach out to a few of my peers, uh, team collaboration platforms really great, um, especially if they work in Australia, um, because uh, I'm not going to get a response from them during my business day because they'll be asleep if I if I if I ring them. Um, it's, it's a difficult way to sort of um, it's a difficult thing to map out. But I think we need to really think about that. And, and uh, so do so do our customers. But, but what I, I would say, interesting... sorry, there we go. Yeah, I was going to say one interesting point that came up was this idea of one size fits all. You know, David, you mentioned all the different apps you're using. We're all, I looked at the messaging apps on my phone recently. I've got 10 of them, I think now. Uh, and then I just added uh, WhatsApp recently. If you, if you want to talk to anybody in Europe, you have to have WhatsApp. Um, so, but interestingly, one of the data points we just published was only about a third of the, the IT leaders that we talked to. The challenge they were running into is saying, well, we're going to use uh, Cisco WebEx Teams slash Spark. We're going to use Microsoft Teams. But I've got the sales team that's using Quip or Chatter because it's tied into Salesforce. I've got 
the development teams that are using Slack because they've integrated workflows, maybe Atlassian until that gets merged with Slack. And so we're hearing that, you know, it, it, this vision that we're just going to simplify and get rid of apps. The, one of the things that, that people say, look, that's not realistic because we want to provide flexibility. And oh, by the way, look at what you've got on your phone. You're using 10 different apps to communicate. So why, why, is it, why do you need one app in the enterprise? Uh, I, it's funny you say that. I mean, it, the industry, you could argue, has for most of its time been a one-app one industry, right? You are a Cisco house or you're a Polycom house or you're a, you know, maybe even a life-size house or something. And you would say to a client, oh, they're a Polycom house, they do this. But in the modern era, when people not only want to talk in different ways, right, as you guys were already explaining, but there's also the issue that now video and all these collaboration tools is beyond the walls of your own organization. Um, and therefore, you can turn around and say to your blue in the face, we're a Microsoft Teams provider or user, but what if your biggest customer is a Google house? Now what? Is the, idea idea, of getting, is the idea of getting a single aggregated platform across all these modalities just now so far a field that it'll never happen? Look, I it'll remember when I, when I was in first in business you know, 30 years ago as a seven-year-old child, right? Um, the answer was, well, actually a few years into it, the answer became WordPerfect would be the word processor. Lotus123 would be your spreadsheet. Novell Netware would be your network, um, and you probably have a compact PC because IBM screwed it up so badly with a PS2, right? And that was it. And that was the success criteria until someone came along and went, that's not the success criteria anymore, and Office and LAN server and all that stuff happened. And so this whole idea that people can sit there and say, well, we're just going to wait for the industry and the market to calm down, and we'll wait until there's one answer well, I can tell you now, in 32 years of doing this, I've never seen one answer. We're not concatenating down to a single Nirvana solution, because as soon as you get close to that Nirvana solution, someone comes and reinvents success in the market, and then we're all off in another direction, a whole bunch of new competitors come out. So well, that said, that said, Simon, I mean, you look at it, it's, I find it amazing that video and cloud-based video and all the interoperability there it's you know it's here we've got numerous there's there's numerous uh, vendors that do all of that mixing up in the cloud and yet you know when we look at other modalities like the voice part and we look at the instant messaging or, or the team collaboration part it really is um all of your eggs in one basket i i never thought that video would have been you know the the, the area that where it's it's the easiest potentially to sort of have a multi-vendor environment it is. You could argue that it is, but but interesting enough, as a, as a great example, we're using BlueJeans today. We're all using the BlueJeans app, right? Or we're using it in a web browser. What I'm not using is another manufacturer's device to ring into the BlueJeans. So to Irwin's point, instead of having a one app solution, we simply say, no, no, no. I've got, Irwin, you said you had 10 instant messenger stroke video products. I do a lot of, when I go and do talks, I ask people, how many VC products are on your iPhone? And most people put their hand up to one, and I say, nah, you're wrong. I bet you've got at least five. And it's very rare you meet every, anyone who hasn't got, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and iMessenger and WeChat if they're in Asia and WhatsApp if they're in South America or Europe or, you know, a bunch of other things. And no one thinks anything of it. It's like, oh, that customer's on something else. Oh, fine, I'll just download the app. So 
what's happened is we're not concatenating to a single, we're diversifying into a massive range. I think that's a good thing, personally, but uh, there's no sense that we're all going to end up on one platform. And Simon, not that it brings me any yeah, joy yeah. to call you out as being incorrect, but I am actually connected into this call on a Cisco EX60, just, just FYI. <laughs> Okay. Well, you're the exception that proves the rule, David. What can I say? And that, that, my entire career, what can I say about that? All right. So let me transition. Point, we, uh, oh, go ahead, Erwin. I just had one. To Simon's point, one of the questions we asked in a recent video study was what we asked people to rate the relative importance of different features of, of video systems. And the, th the, the single most important feature that people would say, I would buy that if I could have it today, is that ability to take that video system and connect to a BlueJeans call, to a Zoom call, to a Cisco call, to a GoToMeeting call, and use it for, you know, any kind of system that's out there. Because, like you said, you know, we're we're not internally collaborating as much now as we are externally. So if I'm trying to have a, a video call with somebody who's using Google Hangouts, and you tell me I can't use the system in my room, I'm not going to be real happy with IT. Okay, so let me use that specifically about rooms and systems and take this uh, conversation into a bit of a transition. You know, I don't know, about five years ago, guys, keep me honest, five, six years ago, we started talking about huddle rooms, which was the idea that instead of building big meeting rooms, uh, maybe even six or seven years ago, we, we would build a lot of smaller rooms that had more remote participants than local participants. And this concept of the huddle room starting at two, three, four people and maybe going to six seven once you hit eight you're actually in a small size conference room so that's about the range and we thought we were in a hype bubble and you know typically you get the bell curve going up and then it starts to go down and boy this one is still shooting straight up in the air as far as i can tell there are new products launching every day there are bad products launching every day. Don't get me into a conversation on this one about all the various people that say, you know, plunk a set-top device down on top of a flat panel and you're done. But there are actual, you know, like speaker bar products that are on the market right now. And, and there are new ones coming on very shortly, gaining traction. Probably when this airs, you'll hear a couple of announcements. Um, do we see the hype cycle around this concept of huddle rooms ending at any point? Or is it still rolling, got a long way to roll down the hill and pick up stuff as it goes? It's straight up. I mean, the, the numbers are ridiculous. Uh, I mean, certainly, I'll just put my Logitech hat on for a moment. I try not to play that card very often on these calls, but we launched our Meetup product a year ago, as you'll all be aware. The take-up, and we thought it was going to be a good product, and we're proud of it, but my word, has that thing gone like crazy. Um, I, I obviously, I'm not allowed to talk about numbers because we're a publicly listed company, but it's incredible. Uh, well, it the, scares the me. Is, it's, it scares me to have, a, and by I've used the Meetup product, it's terrific, and I've used a number of the other products we talked about. You know, Cisco has their, their room kits, and which is more of an appliance, but it's the same style concept. You know, you've got an AMX product out there, you've got a Yamaha product out there, and you've got some new ones that are kicking off. I, I love the simplicity of it. I love the idea that you have a speaker bar, you have a microphone array that finds things, and you've got a camera. In some cases, the camera can actually do some intelligent framing, plus or minus whose system or software that you're using. I get that. But it always scares me that, that, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. People who are not educated about the space will see this as, oh, all I need is one of these things. So the next 30-person boardroom they're going to build, they're going to slap one of these up under there or give their people a hard time why they can't just slap one of their people, these things up under there. Are, 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 is it too simplistic a solution? And are we starting to deceive the people in the space around what we can do in rooms? I, I think what we need to know is it, we, we've got to recognize that huddle rooms are really for small project teams. They're not designed for board meetings. And we need to sort of 
make sure that you know we do our, our due diligence in the, in, in the marketplace and say, look, these are the use cases for each one of these solutions. Um, I think Huddle Rooms is going gangbusters because, um, quite frankly, why wouldn't you? It's cost effective, and why wouldn't you make a meeting room multi-purpose? The uh, the high-end telepresence suites they've got their own use cases. Um, although we're seeing, you know, those are stagnating to some degree as people realize they need to do more than just see high definition, you know, beads of sweat rolling down senior executives as they sign acquisitions or, or, or do their dealings in the boardroom. Um, it's, we, we need to make sure that uh, everything is fit for, fit for purpose and that huddle rooms don't break out of that small project team mentality in a, in a, in a, in a in a meeting room and, and don't break into that boardroom because yeah you're right Dave David everyone's going to be brutally disappointed if you put these devices in a great big uh, you know 30 30 seat uh, boardroom. I think I, I want to give our, our vendors some credit here because um, I'm not concerned about that and I think it's because the vendors have done a good job. Um, sometimes vendors do a bad job. They say yeah buy this for everything. It'll work for everything. Just buy as many of them as you can. They've been pretty good with their marketing and saying, this is designed for the small space. This is not designed to capture a large room. Now, salespeople are salespeople. If someone tries to buy one and say, hey, can we put it in our meeting room? Are they going to say, no, I'm not going to sell it to you? But as far as the big marketing that's out there, the, the, you know, the webinars, the promotions, I think the vendors have done a pretty good job. And because it's in their best interest, because honestly, if we put these things in meeting rooms, it will be a bad experience. It'll make them look bad. Uh, we bought this from vendor A. Look what, look what a terrible experience it is. They don't want that. So I think they're trying to say, no, no, no. We, we, hey, we also sell stuff for the big rooms. Talk to us about that. But if you're talking about a three to four person meeting, five person meeting room, that's what this is for. Uh, I, I, I could see why we should, should be concerned about it, but I think we're in good shape. So we did a study earlier this year about 400 end user companies, and we asked them about their room penetration today of video and their plans to expand it. And similar to what what uh, Simon said earlier on, there's a lot of room for growth in the market. We found, believe it or not, more plans for growth in the mid-size room, which we defined as about five to 10 people, and in the larger size room than in the smaller spaces. And the reason for that, I think, is there's, there's now an expectation. If you walk into a, an established meeting room, you really better have video in there. Where in the small huddle spaces, uh, you can get away with a laptop, you can get away with you know having a, an external webcam, uh, but it's it's not necessarily, that expectation that if I walk into this small, you know, round table with four seats around it, that I'm going to have a, a video system in that room. So we do see uh, larger, larger plan growth in, in the midsize and larger rooms right now. And what I would say, David, is, you know, although our products, and, and there's obviously others, right? Other fine products exist as well. Of course they do. Um, but our meetup's done incredibly well. But just because it did well didn't mean that we went, the problem is solved. I mean, we... We launched a, uh, a higher-end, larger room solution recently, Rally, um, because we knew that it wasn't going to be the answer for every customer. I will say some customers have said to us, and in fact, I drove down to see a client recently who said, you know, it's not quite good enough for some of our um, some of our huddle rooms. And I'm like, well, how big are your huddle rooms? Because this isn't what we thought of as going to be a problem. And we go down there, and their rooms were 15 by 15 feet, uh, with an 11-foot ceiling and all the walls covered in whiteboards. And um, nice rooms as they are, that's a bit too big, really, for a huddle space solution. Now, of course, if you only have one product to sell, to your point, Mr. Danto, uh, if all you have is, uh, is hammers, then everything's a nail, right? So if, you, if you're if you working with a manufacturer with one product to sell, guess what? That product fits everything because 
it's what I'd do if I were in that position. But I think most of the proper players have a range of things and go, it's great for that smaller space, but you need something bigger for the larger rooms. I think what it is also doing is that huddle room, the expectations of, um, you know, not having to do a lot of room remediation and having an easy install and not having to spend a fortune for someone to um, to fit it all out. Um, I, I think that expectation will sort of, you know, but basically anyone with 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 decent handy handy man or, or, or DIY skills could put in, you know, a, a hang a hang a panel to a wall and connect it all up in a huddle room. So I think a lot of facilities teams are doing that um, internally. But I think I do wonder whether or not that expectation will make its way up to the medium-sized rooms, and uh, we'll see a lot more easier to install solutions where customers don't feel that they're spending a fortune for a partner to come in and paint the walls brown, for example, or, or you know, to, to do big HVAC stuff. I would agree. I mean, here's a good example. I was up in New York recently, and we were talking about cabling with a client, and it transpired that because he had concrete floors, um, it was going to cost more money to dig the trench to put the cable for the mic puck into the middle of a table than the video conferencing solution cost. Because the video conferencing solutions are now less expensive, and New York's quite an expensive place to get anything done. And it's like, this is crazy. And so, to your point, Tim, the 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 temptation to put these huddle spaces into larger rooms is great because they're so easy. I mean, you just plug it into the wall and you're done. You know, it well, really least, can be that simple. At least we're starting to see products hit the market with whatever the buzzword is du jour around intelligent framing or automatic zooming or speaker tracking. So that, <clears throat> again, it's not as important. Uh, I forget who pointed this out to me this week. It's not just the um, the experience you have in the room where you've installed it, but the experience you have on the far end of somebody who's connected to that system. If all you're seeing is somebody way in the back and you can't make their facial expressions because they've got a webcam where they should be having a camera that can zoom, it's not gonna be a good experience on the far end and people won't wanna connect to it. So we are starting to see most of the manufacturers now realize that they've gotta have some sort of intelligence in automatically framing the shots you know, the way where we're looking right now, nice, good head and shoulders, see facial expressions, understand if people are awake or asleep, things like that. You make a good point that I think, I uh, may be a little bit of a, a tangent, but um, I, I think it's something this industry has gotten wrong for a long time. The value of a video camera is the far end experience. We always look at cameras, how do they look in the room? Uh, guys like me and, and, you know, all my fellow analysts, anytime a camera company comes up with a new camera, they say, we want to know what you think of it. We're going to send you one. Don't send me one. Hook it up and call me on it. <laughs> That's how I know if it's a good camera. Well, also send me one. I need to know how it works and how it's configured <laughs> and everything else. But for the end user experience, um, the end user experience isn't the guy looking at the camera. It's the guy in the other end. So um, I'm glad that you brought that well, up. Back to that point, David, of course, the, um, your your whole overall experience degrades to the lowest common denominator. So if someone phones in on a mobile phone and they've got a video experience on the, you know, on a on a on a mobile phone. It doesn't matter how much you spent on a telepresence system. It, the, the whole the whole conference is going to degrade to those common denominator, which will be someone walking around with a, you know, with a smartphone up to their face. And and that, by the way, was one of the things that I wrote about extensively around ten years ago. Was this concept of the telepresence myth, where if you could have this beautiful high resolution 
as if you're in the room meeting with one of your peers at another location, but your CEO was on an airplane or on his boat, and he could only come in off of some 3G or 4G connection. What's more valuable to you, the high quality, high definition experience, or the more important content and person that you want to speak with? And it brings us to the yeah. point where we are in the collaboration space right now, which is we, everybody's uh, trying to get this any to any to any. I want to be able to call whoever I am from wherever I am from whatever the best devices that I happen to be. And if I'm not using this hardware endpoint that I'm using right now, I whip up a webcam and I'm using, you know, a software endpoint. And if I'm not using that, I'm using my tablet or my mobile phone, but I'm able to join the call from wherever I am. And that's a, that's a wonderful place where the industry has actually gone to. An interesting phenomenon we've seen in, in some conversations is not only just using one endpoint. So uh, people like to walk around during meetings. They don't like to sit at desks for hours. They, you know, some, a lot of people, in, especially folks in, in my company, don't like to be on video because they like to walk around and, and they feel like it helps them think better when they're in a call. So you, you, you position video, desktop video as a scenario where you have to sit in your chair at your desk to participate. That's not real natural for a lot of folks. So I don't know if the answer is having like a, a harmonica type stand where you have a, something in front of you that shines in you as you walk around or, or somebody picking up a, a phone and using it as they walk around. But I see a lot of people go off video frequently during calls just because they, you know, they want to go get a drink or something like that. Uh, uh, so, just for the record, Erwin, um, I think we'd be very nervous of the lawsuit about a, a harmonica thing because you're, you're going to step under a bus, aren't you? <laughs> you, you, you just are. We'll get started. so let's let's take our final transition for this conversation anyway over to this concept of interactive whiteboards, electronic whiteboards, ideation boards. You know, it's been an interesting um, uh, history of this in the space with a lot of players that have been around for many, many years. And of course, Microsoft came along and kind of changed everything with the Surface Hub. Um, and there are other players joining as well. We've had, you know, three new entrants this year. There'll be multiple new entrants going on. Microsoft has, of course, announced the Surface Hub 2, which, you know, I haven't seen it in person, but I've seen the videos. It looks awfully sleek, but of course, it's not available. Um, so, and, and I also am aware that there are cameras on the market today, and there are cameras that will be on the market shortly that will do a pretty decent job of, oh, by the way, I see a whiteboard out of the corner of the screen. I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to correct the parallax errors, and I'm going to send that down your data channel. Do you really need an interactive board here, or is it enough that I'm sending the whiteboard to the far end? So, so right. my question yeah. is, you know, what are we really gaining here? Do we see these things having traction? Are they more hype than real? Um, what are your thoughts around that? So, so I, I think, well, I'm going to start off and think that uh, interactive whiteboards are digital white elephants. Um, I, I, I am really disappointed at most of the most of the demonstrations that I've seen. I've seen, you know, senior vice presidents or general managers get up and they do tic-tac-toe or they just circle a PowerPoint presentation or it, it's just so bitterly disappointing. And yet I see people doing magnificent drawings with their Microsoft stylus or their, their Apple pencil on, on, on software. And I'm sort of thinking, well, why wouldn't you just screen share that if you want to do some ideation? Or why would you not participate in that side of things? Personally, I think a lot of these digital white elephants are people trying to um, reinvent you know, video conferencing endpoints. Um, so I think at the moment they're a bit of a digital white elephant. Um, I am very, you know, impressed by some of these solutions that do pick up whiteboards because, you know, we, we've been speaking a lot about huddle rooms. What, what you typically see in a meeting room, there is a, a big whiteboard there that's very easy to use, uh, assuming that no one's walked off with the dry markers 
or they're still working. Um, I, I think that's fantastic, uh, depending on how, you know, your artistic skills. But when I see a lot of these digital whiteboards, you know, people are using tic-tac-toe or they're doing very simple drawings or diagrams, and it really feels disappointing to me. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah, uh, so have... our, our study that we published earlier this year, we had about 40% or 30% of companies that were using them, but typically they're used in very limited cases. I, my sense now in, in talking to IT leaders and, and people we, we study and work with is that they're, they're still kicking the tires on them. They, they don't really uh, see this as something I'm going to put everywhere. Uh, they want to put a few in different groups and, and see if people figure out how to use them. They're not sure how much training is required. Uh, so I think we're, we're still, you know, they understand the value. They understand the idea that if I, if I have a whiteboard in the room that anyone can see what I'm writing on it, can manipulate the content, can save it and come back to it, you know, there's real value in that. But is there real value for putting those in every room or is there real value just for specific teams and use cases? I think that's what people are trying to figure out now. Yeah, the use cases that I'd reported on in the past when I, when I looked into this, you know, if you're an architect and you're working with architects at another location, or if you're a designer or a magazine publisher or a clothing, you know, a, a designer, you know, where you're working with peers or engineers, you're working with a peer at another location on detailed drawings daily so that the learning curve for using the system is not something you have to get through the, the next time you walk into a room and have to remember how to use it. It's, it's part of your daily tools. That's a tremendous use case for these. The idea that we're putting forward that there's going to be a lot of them in use in general purpose meeting rooms because they're cool, um, I'm kind of leaning to where you are, Tim, around the, the white elephant piece on that, that I think that it's, it's, it's most of us don't stand up in meeting rooms unless you're a teacher um, or an educator. We're all kind of sitting down using our own devices. So, um, I, but uh, uh, Simon, David, I don't want to cut you guys off. What are your, your thoughts on this? I, I kind of have mixed feelings. Um, you know, on the one hand, when I, when I go to the conventions and I see the demos of these products and, you know, the CEO of the board companies start doing these amazing things, I'm like, okay, this is seriously impressive technology. And I can see how a, a team that needs to use this and wants to use this would be way more productive. But then I start thinking about the, the kind of things that you guys were saying, you know, does every room need this? How many people really like to do stand-up? I mean, there are people who like to use touchscreens and like to do it, and there's a need there. But also... I wonder if we've, if we, if we, if technology has kind of surpassed this. The, the analogy I have is, right before I got my first iPhone, I got this little box that was a navigator thing, and it sat in my car. I forgot the company that made them, but there were a lot of them out there, and it, it just, it just, it was a navigation app with its own box. And after a year or two, they wanted ninety-nine dollars to upload the new maps to it, which I did. And then after another two years, my, my wife says, you know, hey, the, the thing is blinking again. It's saying it needs another $99. And I'm like, that's a great device, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful, but maybe I'll just use the free app on this or one of the seven free apps on this instead, and we threw the thing out. And, and is that, and I'm thinking, you know, is a similar thing going on here? There's great affordable touchscreens. If I attach a Nook to it and run Windows on it, am I good? Is, is it as simple as, you know, we got the equivalent of this now, so we don't need these big over-engineered things where you put your hand on it and turn it three degrees to the left, and the menu pops up if you're an expert and you know what to do? Um, or is it ha has it gotten too simple now? Uh, my comment would be, I think that it shows a couple of things. Firstly, that groups of people now want to, even that this market exists at all, shows that it's it, video collaboration has moved beyond senior muckety-mucks talking to other senior muckety-mucks about someone else doing work, right? So 
an interactive whiteboard is in theory about groups of people communicating. I do agree with your point, David, about um, educators, right? They use it every day and interactive whiteboards have been a major success in that market. Is that gonna translate into the business world is open to some debate. Uh, I actually think part of the problem with interactive whiteboards is whiteboards. Because whiteboards are just so easy. I mean, it's probably one of the, in fact, the concept of a whiteboard, if you think of cave painting, right, as it's probably spiritual you know, predecessor, predates the wheel. It may even predate fire. So it's a pretty, you know, ubiquitous technology for humanity. Um, I think it needs to be at least as good as an interact, a, a physical whiteboard for it to be a real takeoff. Having said all of that, you do, and, and I do agree with Tim, by the way, that I think most interactive whiteboard manufacturers don't do a particularly good job of demonstrating it, right? Tic-tac-toe and a drawing from a four-year-old isn't compelling. But I think if they change the way that they look at the product, and the way that they sell the product, I think they could do very well with it. And in, and in fact, I see the numbers because a lot of our stuff gets attached to a lot of this stuff. Uh, the numbers are pretty decent. There are quite a few interactive whiteboards being sold. Now, does that mean that it's mass deploy now? Well, I'm certain not, and I agree with Erwin on that. But I, I think if someone were to get it right and at the right price that it could be mass deployed, after all, like all video, if I put an interactive whiteboard in and you don't, well, I've just wasted all my money, haven't I? In the same way that you've done the same problem for video. So it needs to be at a price point and it needs to be at a point where if you get up and it doesn't work and all of your friends are laughing at you, all of your work colleagues are laughing at you, which everyone feels is gonna to happen to them, right? People are more afraid of public humiliation than they are of death, then I think then it works. But at this point, I'm not... I think it's scary. Yeah, I'm not sure it's ever going to cross the chasm. I really don't think it's going to cross the chasm because, you know, Microsoft Surface, Apple, Apple Books with styluses, pencils, bamboo, tablets, all you need is a decent app and you can screen share and collaborate that way. You know, why, why would I want to get people in a room? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? We, we've all got to be in a room to use a digital whiteboard, whereas all of us on a call today could use an app and screen share and, and do our, our caveman drawings using a stylus. You, you know, we wouldn't. But, Tim, but the counter to that would be, well, why bother having meeting rooms? Because we can all sit in our cubes or in our, you know, in our individual offices as we are now and never go to a meeting room again. So, yes, at some point that's a logical argument. But in reality, people have meeting rooms as well. Now, I will say I don't sell interactive whiteboards. Um, plenty of people we work with do. So I don't have a dog in that fight. But I would argue it may. You may be right. Maybe it's not going to go anywhere. Um, well, how the I other thing is as well. It's, well, the other thing is as well. It's how many times you see people do a do a whiteboard and then take a picture using their smartphone and email or or, or you know send send the send the picture to people. Um, I, you know that's a hard habit to break. Um, so I, you know it's it's got to come in at the right cost. It's it has to be usable. Um, you've got to have someone that's that's okay with the technology and, and it doesn't want to lag. And you know it's horrible when you draw a draw a line and it takes a couple of seconds for it to render. I mean, that's just not, not, well, that's it, not it, right. It's right interesting. It's funny you mentioned that, Tim, because when I, when I see these demos of the whiteboards, one of their biggest selling points, because I, I always say, can I just use a, a marker, regular 
you know, analog marker board, and they go, oh, no, you can't use that because after you draw it, you have to take your smartphone and take a picture of it to, to, to record what happened at the meeting. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's, that, is that such a terrible thing? That's worth changing my $50 whiteboard for a $2,000 interactive board so they don't have to well, take a picture of it anymore? Now, one, of the like keys, one of the key selling points of, of, the, of the Cisco board when it came out as a spark board, which I actually really liked, was the idea that you could take a drawing that lives in, in the cloud and then go back to it two months, three months, eight months later and erase a line and add a new line and keep working on it because it wasn't mm. saved as a graphic. It was saved as it's data. It's persistent project uh, work. Right. The, the, and, and, and that still benefits quite a number of companies, although it's, it's, it's not as ubiquitous as it could be because you have to be on the WebEx team's cloud in order to use that feature. There's no on-premise capability for that, at least not yet today. So it was a great feature, but it wasn't widely available enough to really tip the scales in any direction. But now, that this, is a, that is this is a pure aside, but can I just say for the record, I hate interactive whiteboards that make me write with my finger. Because I don't use the writing with my finger. I'm used to writing with a pen. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you go to restaurants now, they say, oh, can you sign the, you know, sign your credit card? Please? America and signing things. What's the matter with you people? You not heard of pin numbers? But anyway, and you sign, and it's like, that's never looked the same twice. My own wife can't read my name when I sign it. And it's like, just any old circle. So how am I meant to draw sensibly on a whiteboard when you make me draw with a finger on it? That's you would have you would have been it. really a lot a lot of fun in those caveman days there Simon. Oh, I was an awful. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm a bit of a prickly pear on the side, just saying. Yeah, oh, but well, well, to to, to yeah. use Simon's uh, caveman analogy, all they had there was you know a stick and, and blood or what have you, and and quite frankly, the digital. The digital alternatives haven't really gone up much from there, to be to be and, honest. I mean, the, the, they, the drawings they hadn't invented the pencil. Wave. They hadn't invented yeah, well, the they, pencil, so they weren't used to writing with it, and they didn't know cursive. I apologize to our audience, because clearly we found people that have no opinion on this subject whatsoever. Um, the, the one thing that I'll say to, to kind of put a wrapper around this, which I find really fascinating, and I'm happy for you guys to tell me that I'm wrong if you've seen any different, the, the current hype cycle around interactive whiteboards is probably about three years old at this point now, three or four years old, something like that. I've yet to yeah. see an end user testimonial about how good they are. I've seen plenty of integrators, I've seen plenty of manufacturers, I've seen plenty of websites. I've yet to see somebody write on a social media website or on a blog, wow, this changed our lives. And you normally see at least one or two of those things by now on a product if they're really gonna take off. Has anybody seen anything? Yeah, we have in our research, and you know, we've talked to a couple of, of folks who, like I said, have used them, have, have found them to be advantageous, but it's, it's again, it's really limited use cases right now. I've talked to companies in energy, for example, that find them to be very useful when they're looking at results of exploration analyses and studies of, of uh, opening wells, mines, et cetera. Uh, financial services folks I've talked to, they're using them to go through a presentation with clients in terms of you bring the client into the room and you go through the financial strategy with them and use the board to be able to annotate, point out things and so on. So certainly education, I mean, they're in almost every classroom these days. Uh, healthcare, we've talked to some organizations that have found them to be useful for doctors to share information with both patients and with other doctors and to be able to look at, you know, x-rays and again, be able to annotate right on there. So I think there are a number of use cases, but it's like we said, like I said earlier, I think it's still pretty limited. It's not a mass market uh, device at this point. Not around I'm, the general. I'm with Ar Arwen on that. I think I might have been a, a little too harsh on my criticism of it because there are plenty of verticals where there's a real legitimate use, not just hey, this is cool, we want it, but it really helps them, it is productive, um, and, and it, you know, it's it's not 
we've been making fun of it, but it's not a joke. It really is valuable and it really is good. I just don't see it being in every meeting room kind of thing the way I see like video conferencing being. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point that we're talking about it here in the context of a general purpose meeting room, not about, you know, specific use cases. So, uh, so that's a good piece. So, so I, I appreciate everybody's time here. I'm going to give everybody one shot to let us know how to get in touch with them as we go around the room. And again, I'm going to go in order. David, why don't you start first? Um, how do people reach you if they want to reach out to you and get more information about what you do? If you could find everything on my website at letsdovideo.com and you could follow me on Twitter also at letsdovideo. Terrific. Erwin? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at I am Lazar. I am L-A-Z-A-R and at nemertes.com, N-E-M-E-R-T-E-S.com. Terrific. Simon? Uh, I'm on Twitter on at Simon Dudley. So find me there. Terrific. And Tim? Yep, and I'm on Twitter at tbanting, T-B-A-N-T-I-N-G, or you can get in contact with us through www.globaldata.com. Terrific. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of Connected. This will be the first of many conversations that we're having around the collaboration industry and uh, the kind of things that we talked about at some of the Infocom seminars. And by the way, this doesn't replace going to Infocom and some of the other trade shows and catching us live in person. And we'll certainly get that information out to you when we're there. So for everyone at the IMCCA, for uh, AV Nation TV, I'm David Danto, your host. You can find me everywhere. Just Google my name um, and we'll speak to you on the next episode. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.